Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, we're doing a series of messages that I've entitled First Things First, and we've been talking for the past few weeks about realigning our priorities. You know, it's easy to get our priorities out of whack. It's easy to uh, get misplaced and to uh, decide that, you know, there are better things to do, but sometimes better things are not the best things. And so one of the things that we've been talking about over the past few weeks is trying to redirect our attention and our focus on what is the best. Uh, There is uh, always this pull within inside of us to want to just settle for second best, isn't there? Sometimes we say things like, when we do a project, well, that's good enough. You know, uh, we don't want good enough. We want to give our best to the Lord. And so, as we talk about realigning our priorities, we've talked about following Jesus and what does that really look like in following him. And today, we're going to take that to an applicational place not that we've not made application through our series, but today's more of an application, probably based sermon than any of the others that we've sort of looked at thus far. And so I don't want to just give you a theological information. I want to give you something that you can leave here with and begin to apply to your life. And so when we begin to think about the Word of God and we begin to think about salvation specifically, one of the greatest, I think, passages, the most theologically uh, challenging text we find is in Ephesians 2. So I want you to take your Bibles and begin to find Ephesians 2. And there we will dive into some theological gems and hopefully we'll come with some ac- ac- applicational truth that will really, I think, um, be applied as you walk out of this room today, as you think about your life, as you begin to think about what God has done for you in this beautiful work of saving you. And by the way, salvation, according to what Paul is going to say in verses 1 through 9, salvation is that work of God by which it is a work of mercy, a work of love, and a work of grace. It's mercy because, listen, all of us in this room, in the sound of my voice, and I just realized what I just said. It doesn't make any sense. I realize that, but it's okay. Everybody in this room should be in the sound of my voice. Some of you are not paying attention to me, so maybe that's the ones I'm talking about not. But anyway, uh, but uh, I know we say crazy things and we don't understand why we said them. Seth's looking at me like, you know, what did you even say? See, he wasn't even paying attention. So he's like trying to catch up right now. So uh, now I forgot where I was going. Oh, we, we all in this room, how's that? That's better, right? We all of us in this room in this building, all need God's mercy because, listen, very honestly, we all deserve hell. We all deserve to be condemned because we were all born infected with a disease, with a nature called sin. We wonder why we do bad and evil things. (laughs) It's because that's the nature in which we were born in. We were held captive by sin. And that's all of us in this room. Listen, it's a, it's a work not only of mercy because 
We all deserve damnation. I said it's a work of love. It's by which God is motivated in his heart to save us (laughs) because he loves us. Unconditional love. Think about that for a minute. It's not that God saves you because you're pretty. As a matter of fact, you're very ugly when it comes to sin. It's not that God saves us because we, we are just say, these, these people who do, do such good things. Although, although sinful people can do some good things, there, there's nothing intrinsically good about anything that we do if it's not done in the power and the strength of the Lord. Some of y'all will catch that later. If you didn't get it, you can listen to the, the thing. And it's a pretty deep statement I just made. But just think about how true that is. I'm trying to sound smart. It just, it, it's just so true that we try to do all these goodness things in our own strength, our own power, our own ability. And we think God's going to go, Ooh, that's pretty cool. No, God says, if you're not doing it in and through me, you're really wasting your time. We'll talk more about that as we go through. It's a work of love by which God is motivated to save you. Isn't that powerful? That God would love me. Listen, and the Bible says, listen, Jesus in the high priestly prayer, I mentioned it last week. Let me mention it this week. In a different place in that prayer, Jesus is praying to the Father. And not, not only is he talking about his former glory, and he can't wait to get back and have the same glory, but, but here's what he says also. He says that, that they would know that you love them as you have loved me. I want you to think about that statement for a minute. God loves you like he loves Jesus. Wow, isn't that profound? So it's a work of mercy. It's a work of, listen, it's a work of grace. God didn't give you what you deserve. He gave you mercy. But God also gave you what you didn't earn. He gave you grace, right? That's something that God gives you. God gives you that grace, that, that salvation that you have, that, that redemption that you enjoy, that relationship of prayer and the word and all of that that you enjoy in that relationship with Jesus Christ, God gave to you by his grace, unmerited favor. You did nothing to get it. And so Paul makes a theological argument in chapter 2, verses 1 through following, that how God would take those of us who are dead, and he would quicken us. He would make us alive in Christ Jesus because, listen, because of his mercy, because of his love, and because of his grace. It's nothing you've done. It's not a work of any man. Amen? Think about that. That, to me, makes salvation so rich. And what Paul does at the end of this conversation in verses 1 through 9, I don't have time to preach all these verses. I wish I had time. You're just getting a a synopsis because I want to get to one verse this morning. But what Paul does in in these verses is he, he tells us about what he reveals in verse 10, and that is this magnificent artwork of God by which he makes each of us in this room who are his, his masterpiece. And Paul, in those verses, will bring us down to verse 10. And we love verses 8 and 9. We we love Verse 1. But not many of us want to focus on verse 10. Verse 10 he says to us, listen to what he says. For we are, what? His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And those good works, he says, God prepared beforehand that we should. I want you to notice what the word he uses there. Because it's a great, perfect interpretation of the Greek language there. The New King James nailed it. That we should walk in them. 
It's interesting that he did not say work in them, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we ought to walk in what? In good works that he has prepared beforehand. Why? Why are we going to do that? Because we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. As we think about what Paul is going to say to us, the result of salvation is not of anything I have done. It's not of works. It's not anything that I can do. I cannot be good. There is nothing intrinsically good about Mike Foreman. Now, that doesn't mean I can't do some good things every once in a while. Hallelujah, I do. Once in a while, I get it right. But there's some times I get it wrong, and I don't do some nice things. I don't do such good things. Amen? But when you begin to think about it, Paul says that you are saved not because you did anything good. And as a result of that, God is going to do good things through you. That's a pretty amazing combination. That's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? That God would take something that is filthy and dirty and stinky and full of sin. And that he would, through his son Jesus Christ, suffering and dying on the cross and shedding his blood, raising from the dead on the third day. He would take that truth of that gospel, implanted in the heart of evil, wicked, sinful people, and turn them around and make them a vessel of honor. A vessel that he can use. That is an amazing thing. That he could do that. And listen, that's the whole crux of verse 10. That God took you from being dead in trespasses and sin. From being a vessel of dishonor to being a vessel of honor. Someone that he can use. Somebody that he can do a work through. Like the Apostle Paul. God took a man who was a murderer. Who hated Christianity. To a man who became... One of the greatest advocates for the gospel that we've ever seen in the world. That's amazing, isn't it? That God could do that kind of work. And Paul says, God did that through salvation in order that he would use you in some very significant ways in this world, in this time and now. I want you to see, first of all, as we look at verse 10, as we begin to dissect it, we want to talk about God's workmanship. I came across this little poem that I think I've shared many, many times before, but it's worth sharing again. Not a poem, but a little story about three little boys. You know, boys always like to brag about their dads. You know, my dad can beat your dad, blah, blah, blah. Right? Any of you guys ever get into that in the playground when you were a kid? You know, my dad was 6'1". He's a pretty big guy. You know, so I could always claim that, especially when the girls were beating on me. You say, my daddy can beat your mama. <laughs> you know? I had this one girl, there's no lie now, one girl, I guess there must be preacher stories, but a lot of preachers get beat up by girls, either that or they're telling lies, but I tell you, when I was in fifth grade, we had this girl named Maria, she was from Puerto Rico, honest to, honest to the Lord, I mean, we were in fifth grade, but she like, she was in 10th grade, and she picked on me nonstop, I mean, I was just like nonstop, of course, I couldn't help it, you know, then I wasn't fat, and then I had ears that came out about there, you know, I had to grow into my ears, you know, I was born like Dumbo, and Finally grew into them, you know, so I guess I was an easy target. But these little boys are on the playground and they're playing and they're getting this little squabble. And one little boy turns to the other boy and he said, you know what? He said, my daddy, he said, he scribbles a few words on a piece of paper and they call it a poem. And, you know, he makes $100. And the other little boy said, ah, that's, that's really nothing. He said, my daddy, he said, he scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. They call it a song and he gets paid $1,000. Last little boy started laughing. He said, what are you laughing about? He said, well, he said, it's really kind of funny. He said, my daddy scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. They call it a sermon, and it takes six men to collect his money. So some of y'all will get that in just a minute. And just for you skeptics out there, 
What they took up this morning does not go to me, okay? So just so you know, all right? That's, I mean, some of it does. I mean, obviously, that's, my salary is paid out of that. But, but obviously, you know, so if you're a skeptic out there, if you're visiting today, I didn't get what they just took up, okay? That's, that's, that's not my week's salary, okay? So uh, now we can arrange that. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. But when we think about poems, we think about songs, you know, uh, we, we think about works of art, don't we? We think about the fact that it's a, an artifact. And I was doing some research and preparing, and I, and I found that, you know, there are some great artworks in the world that have sold for billions of dollars. It's amazing what they've, what they've sold for. And, um, and I thought about, you know, we are much more valuable than they are. You know, when Paul uses this word, notice back into verse 10, when he uses this word, he says, for we are. Now, I want to stop right there. I'm going to get to workmanship in a minute, but I want you to understand something that Paul is talking about right here in the present, in this moment, you are. We forget that, don't we? We try to find our identity in so many things. We, we try to find our identity in, first of all, being who we are, maybe, maybe as a parent, maybe as a spouse, Maybe we try to find our identity through the work that we do. I know men, we struggle with that, don't we? We, we find our identity at work. You know, we try to find our identity in so many things. But here Paul says, you know, our identity is in Christ. And Paul says, right now, in this moment, you ought to realize, you ought to thank God that you're his workmanship. Right here, right now, you're his. Listen, we don't know what we're going to be in heaven. Amen. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to be perfected. We're not going to be full of sin. Hallelujah. It's going to be great. But right now, we're his beauty. We're his workmanship. The word workmanship that's being used there is where we get our English word poem from. We're a work of art. We are God's work of art. And by the way, that stems beyond, listen, that stems beyond what Paul is talking about here is salvific. What he's talking about here has nothing to do with just general creation. See, there is this creation by which God created all of us, right? And by the way, when God created the earth, when God created human beings, he said, it's very good. It was good. Now then what happens, right? Sin comes into the world, mars the image of God in man, and so Man now is fallen creatures and we need the gospel. We need the work of Christ in order to redeem us. But what Paul is getting at here is this workmanship, this creation of God. It's not just the creation by which God formed man in the garden, but it is that creation that we would call the new man. It is that new creation. It is that, that taking what is sinful, what is broken, what is uh, indeed separated from God, which is dead in trespasses and sin, and quickening it and making it alive and uniting us with Jesus Christ. It is that work of salvation by which God now makes us his children. And so now we are new. We are passed from the old into this new life. That's what Paul is talking about here. We are his beautiful work that he has done through the cross of Calvary to redeem us and to make us his children. That's, ladies and gentlemen, your identity in Christ. You are indeed his workmanship. But notice what he says. We're his workmanship. How? How is that possible? We are created Fashioned, developed, brought about. How? Created in Christ Jesus. How is it that I'm holy? 
How is it that I have righteousness? How is it that I can serve God week after week here in the pulpit ministry or in any ministry for that matter? How is it that I have that ability to do that? How is it that I'm saved? It is by Jesus Christ and he alone. Folks, listen, let's never forget the connectedness that we have with Jesus. Let's never forget that he says it is in Christ salvation is through him, his work of the cross. But listen, that has reference to the fact, listen, that you and I are now one with Jesus. You and I are one. Remember John 15, listen to what Jesus said. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus reminds us of this beautiful imagery of this connectivity that we have with him. You know, in a few weeks, we're talking about Connect Sunday. Asking people to come and be a part of our fellowship. Listen, let me tell you something. We've been invited into this beautiful connectivity with Jesus Christ by which we lose ourselves in him. Amen? My identity, who I am, is in Christ. And my union with him, listen, my union with him has brought about salvation, grace, mercy, love, and has ultimately changed me and made me different. You know what Jesus is really saying in John 15? That if I'm not abiding in the vine, I'm really not part of it. That's what he's saying. And I don't know about you, but I want to examine my life. I want to look and see, is there fruit? Is there fruit in my life? Amen? We ought to be looking and seeing. And so Paul says, listen, you and I are this new creation, this, this work of God, this masterpiece of the Father. That's what we are now. But it doesn't stop. See, that's where we want to stop. We want to stop and say, boy, aren't we beautiful? You know, the whole thing that, listen, so much preaching. Listen, 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 listen. So much preaching today. If you turn it on the television, you're listening to it on the radio. So much preaching today is focused on making you feel good about yourself. So much is focused on who you are in Christ. Now, we don't ever want to forget who we are in Christ. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But it's got to go beyond just who we are in Christ to what is Christ doing in us? What is Christ one of us? He saved me for a purpose. Amen? He didn't save me to be a relic to sit on a shelf and everybody go by and look at. You know? Like we go through a museum. You know, you go through a museum and you look at artifacts and you can't even touch the stupid things. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, it's like you can't touch. Uh, back about 12, 15 years ago, I got to be a security guard uh, in the, uh, the Smithsonian Museum, came to Birmingham. Anybody remember that? Did you go up there when it came? Part, much of it came to Birmingham. And so I went to Birmingham every day and, and I was able to be like a security guard. And we, people come near those, no, don't touch that. Don't touch that. You know, you can't even touch those things. Let me tell you something. We're better than that. We're more valuable than that. God didn't save you to be put behind glass. Amen? And so enjoy the fact that you have this union with Christ. Enjoy this fact that your identity is in Christ and all that we have in Jesus. But listen, if it stops there, then you are a relic. You are just sitting in a box. You are just going to be admired and watched. Amen? 
Because listen to what he says. For we are now in the present his workmanship. How so? Created in Christ Jesus. But for what purpose? For good works. Good works. God saved you to work? What? What? That's not what I've heard in modern day Christianity. God saved you because he loved you and he's wanted to pick you up like a little teddy bear and hold on to you and hug you all day long. I've heard that kind of preaching before. I don't know if you have, but I have. No, God saved Mike Foreman. God saved you to work. You say, no, that ain't true. I just read it. Just quote it for we are in the present, his workmanship. What? Created in Christ Jesus for, prepositional, for good works. So what is this purpose? What is this good works all about? Listen, it's not a result in the sense that I work for my salvation. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, I've already been saved, verse 8 9. By grace, through faith, not, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm not saved by works. But then God flips it on his head, doesn't he? Now that you are saved, you work. Now that you are his, you serve. Now that you are his, you get engaged in good works. So what are these good works? Well, we'll talk about them in just a minute, but I want you to understand something. It's not, it's not human works. It's not fleshly work. Because Isaiah 64, 6 says this, all our righteousness are like filthy rags. It's not, it's not that, right? It's not me conjuring up in my heart. Well, now that I'm saved, I'm going to go serve God. Isn't this wonderful? I'm going to just get out there. I'm going to do anything I want to do. And I'm just going to do all these crazy things. And by the way, it's not that. It's not that. As a matter of fact, you want to really know what it is? Well, listen to Titus, verse 2 and verse 14. That God, through himself, Jesus Christ... He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. So there we go. We know it's not lawless works. We know it's not that. And to purify for himself his own special people, zealous. So whatever that work is, is a zealous work. It is a work by which I want to engage in. It's a work by which I desire to be a part of. It's, it's a work that which God in me does something to, to make me where I desire to do this work. It is good work. So what is the work. Well, let me tell you two things. Number one, it's general to all of us in this room. All of us in this room, we are called to good works. What is this good work? Well, when you get home, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Begin to read Ephesians chapter 4 and read through verse 6, and you will find out what these good works are all about. Let me just give you a grocery list. First of all, a grocery list. He, Paul will talk about in those chapters of chapter 4 and 6, unity. It is a work of unity. You and I ought to participate in the unity of the body of Christ. We ought to strive to be unified. And if you're not striving to be unified, you are not doing good works. Amen? Because you ought to be involved in walking in unity. Second of all, he says that you ought to be concerned about holiness. That is that when Jesus Christ saved me, that's when I became concerned with what comes out of my mouth, what my eyes peer into. That's when you become concerned. Your, your life begins to change because Christ begins to do a work in you by which you don't want to do those things anymore. It's not that you have to stop doing those things. You don't desire those things anymore. Why do you not desire those things anymore? Because Christ is better. 
Christ is better. So by which I walk in unity, by which I walk in holiness. Listen, he also says to walk in the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit. There is this walk of love by which now we have the love of Christ in us and it compels us to love each other and it compels us to love our neighbor. There is this walk of light that is that we don't do a bunch of deeds in darkness, that we don't walk as people in the dark. Remember Jesus said, those who love the darkness love so why? Because their deeds are evil. That's not said of us. That's not said of believers. You and I ought to be walking in this unity, in holiness, in the spirit, in love, in light. Then he says, walk in wisdom. What is walking in wisdom? It's proper application of the truth of God. But it's also, he would say, it's redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, we realize as we walk in wisdom that this world is cranking down, not up. And as Jesus is getting closer and closer to coming, we ought to redeem the time. We ought to take advantage of the time that we have here for what? For doing the work that God has called us to do, which is what? Kingdom work. Kingdom work. Not only that, he says we ought to walk in submission. He gives that beautiful imagery of a, of a husband and wife as they're like the church. And he goes right into chapter 6, just immediately goes into chapter 6, talking about children obeying your parents. Then he goes into work relationships. So we ought to be a, walking in submission. And then he also goes in chapter 6 talking about putting on the armor of God. And if that's not enough for you, when you get home, write this in the margin of your Bible. When you get home, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through verse 14. And you'll find out that there is a work for you to do. God has gifted you, given you ability and a spiritual gift to work inside the body of Christ. That is to be a partner in the ministry of the gospel. In the ministry of the kingdom of God as it pertains to the local church. God has work for you. Wow, that's a lot. But that's generic to all of us. Every single one of us in this room, that's a generic work. That's what God has called us all to. We don't have an option. That's what he's called us to. But as we think about the text, I want to broaden that horizon a little bit because there are specific things that God calls us to do. You're saying, well, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, if you look over at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul certainly believed that God had a work for him to do. He says, to me, who, am le- who I am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, I am compelled to go and to preach the gospel to the Gentile world. Why? Because God put this grace upon me. He has called me to this good work. God has placed me in the position in which I am to preach to the Gentile world. Think about that. Does God have a specific work for you? Jeremiah had a work, right? Listen to Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, God said, I knew you. And he said, before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart, he says. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Did God have a work for Jeremiah? You betcha he had a work for Jeremiah. Does God have a work for you? I think he does. I think there's by which this work is general. I think we all have things, chapter 4 and 5, over in 1 Corinthians, a lot of other verses I could quote today that are in the Bible, of things that you and I participate in the kingdom of God about. But listen, specifically, does God have something upon your life? Is there something that God wants to do with you? Is there something by which God has given you a passion and a desire to be obedient to, come alongside him and to serve in a specific area of ministry? Is there something God wants to do in you? Listen, it may be that you have the gift of hospitality. Maybe it's simply you're going to open your home and you're going to minister to people through your home by loving on them and encouraging them and giving them the gospel. Listen, God has given you the ability to do it because you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What? For purpose clause, good work. 
You don't have an option. If you're a Christian, are you engaged in good work? Generally, as we talked about them. But is there something specific by which you would pray? It never gets old for me to tell it. I know it gets old for you to hear it because I've just shared it the past month. But again, it wasn't by accident that at the age of 10, I said I was going to be a priest and I wanted the Bible. I don't think that's an accident in my life. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think God was beginning to fashion and form in me what he was going to call me to in my life as an adult to surrender specifically in the ministry to be a pastor. And I tell you, it's refreshing when you know and you sense that God has called you and God wants to use you. But I want you to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. This work that God has called us to generally and this work specifically is not done in your power and your strength. I want you to notice how he says it in verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen to what he says now, which God has prepared before. I don't have time to deal with that phrase, but understand that God, just like Jeremiah, before Jeremiah even came into existence, God had a plan and a purpose, right? God knew what he was going to call Jeremiah to do. God was going to make him a prophet to the nations. God has something for you. Before you even came to Jesus Christ, God already has something set aside for you. And listen to what he says. That we should, now notice what he says, walk in them. That is an excellent interpretation, as I said earlier. God is not saying that we should work in them. That's not what God is calling us to. What God is calling us to is to walk. God wants us to walk in the works that he has given us. You say, I don't get that, preacher. Well, let me tell you the difference. When I work in the work, I strive in the work. Listen, you know what I find in my life? I get disappointed. Why? Because I think the results are about what I'm doing. I get discouraged. Listen, I get tired. I get sometimes where I just want to quit. You see, right, what I'm talking about? When I'm engaged in work of the work, it's up to me. But when I walk in the work, I realize God has set the work before me And I walk in it. Ray Stedman tells of a story. He said he and and an intern at his church were going to a city in Utah. And they were going to be preaching the gospel and uh, revival that week. And here's what he said. He said as we were on the airplane, the plane was getting close to landing. He said they decided to have some prayer time. And so he prayed to the young intern. He said, hey, would you just pray for us that God would do you know, do something while we're here in Utah. And so he said the little student uh, pastor uh, or the intern pastor said uh, these words, Father, as we land in Utah, help us to walk in the works that you have prepared for us while we're here. And he said that when they, they landed in Utah and they began to do the work, it was obvious that God had a work prepared. And it was obvious as they were beginning to preach and teach and lead that God had already prepared the situation to be as fruitful as it was going to be. Can I tell you, that's the difference. The difference is, ladies and gentlemen, is that when I walk in the work, when I'm walking with God and I'm walking in this work, God has prepared it beforehand and I'm stepping into it. I'm stepping into it to perform what he's asking me to perform. But here's the great thing about it is my walking, listen, my walking is dependent upon him. My walking is in Jesus. My walking is dependent upon his strength 
in me. It is dependent upon what Paul said, right? He who began a good work in me will do what? He will perfect it. He will bring it to completion. He will be the one, right? It is his strength. Remember Philippians, we talked about it. It'll be his strength in us. I will not wear out and be tired and exhausted because of my strength, because I'm walking with him. It's a big difference, isn't there? It's a big difference when it's my work and when it's his work. When I'm working versus I'm walking. And like Red Stedman said, we'll get out there and begin to serve. And when we begin to do so under the purpose of God, it'll be amazing how God will open up opportunities and what God will do in and through us. Because we know that the good work that God ultimately is accomplishing through us is twofold. One, it's for our betterment to make us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, who was the most awesome servant I've ever read about. But it's not only to make me like Jesus, but it is to bring himself glory by saving men and women and boys and girls. There is no greater work. There is no greater work. And here Paul says that God has called me to be a part of that. No, God has saved me to be a part of that. And I rejoice that he would see fit, as low as I am, to put me into the ministry and give me the opportunity to serve. Let me conclude with Paul's word to Titus in Titus chapter 3 verse 8. Paul writes, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to do what? To maintain good works. These things, he says, are good and profitable to men. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.